Anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. If we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the Die Hard Duke Basketball Fan Podcast. We always say it at the end of the show, Jack, like, share, and subscribe if you are listening and enjoying the Five Point Play Podcast. But I want our fans to do one other thing. When you're listening to this podcast, wherever you are, whether you're on the street, whether you're sitting on the couch with your loved ones, when you hear something great and you're excited, I want you to just punch them right in the throat. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's completely legal. So just go ahead and make sure you share your excitement. It's, it's completely fine with us. You're not going to get called for anything. You won't get a domestic abuse. It's all it's all good. AC, we, we, uh, we had two big games. A combined five points was the differential. One, mm-hmm. we came out on top, 68-66 against Miami at home. The Duke faithful was all back, all on the bandwagon until we lost a couple of days later on that year, Virginia Tech Hokies in Castle Coliseum in kind of heartbreaking fashion, 78-75. We'll touch on both of those. We'll talk about uh, the injury. Luckily, it's not as bad as a lot of us thought. We'll talk about those uh, ACC refs because they have just been abysmal. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little checks and checkers. What's John Shire playing right now? And then we'll get into our recaps for Georgia Tech Saturday, and then Lake Forest before we play UNC the Saturday after. So let's get right to it. Starting with the game against Miami, uh, NC, you know, we rebounded the ball very well. Uh, I thought second half we played very well, but really to me it started with Jeremy Roach coming back. Absolutely. I mean, Roach coming back, playing at home, it was – you know, the perfect remedy for the follow-up to that Clemson game, man. Like, and that's what we do, like, right? Like, we play we play really well at home. And, you know, what a great – like, what, what great defense we played that game against Miami. A, a high, very high-scoring team, a team that scores, you know, up plus, plus 75 points a game in ACC play. I think 79 on the season. And we we held them under you – we know, way under that average, 66. Like, I'm, I'm almost positive all but two or three games this season Duke has held – teams under their average so you know the the defense continues like we really we really did play have a good defensive scheme against Isaiah Wong with Mark Mitchell and with Jacob Grandison both of those dudes played you know just hella good defense Nigel Pack we just let him do his thing which is shoot all he wants to do is shoot let him shoot those standstill shots man he hit those couple on the dribble which is what he does but the minute we started just kind of forcing him to hit standstills and and force it into the interior against bigger defenders, he suffered, man. Like, what What a great defensive effort for that team. Yeah, Jack, I thought we would lose this game. Um, I was really happy to see that we came out in the second half and, and really kind of exerted ourselves. We had a couple times in that second half where we could have pulled away. Uh, we didn't, but the resolve of this team, and I thought John Shire did a really good job of, of, of mixing and matching with his lineup going with smaller lineups when needed, going with uh, lively when needed. I thought he played one of his better games. Um, you know, get, getting 10 rebounds there, protecting the rim with five blocks. Your boy played well, and I thought that, that John had a had a great uh, game plan for that one. Oh, definitely. I, I really think that was one of the more complete games Duke's played all season, defensively obviously holding Miami to uh, significantly less than their season average. Wong... I don't know what was up with him. I think he was sick. Uh, it was Laranaga said after the game. He Not sure. Seeing Mark Mitchell is what he was sick of. I mean that too. Can't <laughs> forget that. that. <laughs> I want to He was sick of seeing Mark Mitchell. And then, you know, Pack just kind of forcing him to to shoot off the catch. 
that's tough to do in a collegiate game. And then, you know, continuing on, the uh, the offense with Jeremy back looked so good. Really, I mean, Flip's starting to hit his shots again. It's It's been great to see. Mm-hmm. And at times, right? But again, like at the end of the game, five minutes without a field goal, like, like yes. that's got to get cleaned up, right? It does. It does. But again, I think probably the most complete Duke has been as a team and just generally in their gameplay all season. Yeah, I think we're starting to protect the ball a little bit better. Uh, obviously, we still have a lot of those stupid turnovers that you'd like to get cleaned up, but they're across the board too. It's not like it's just a freshman making you know making those silly turnovers. He's he's lying. We only up. had ten for that game. Yeah, another, we only had another ten. Game so we're starting where... to clean it up. Yeah, seven uh, yeah. against Virginia Tech. Right, right. Like it's that's that part's getting better, man. Like yeah, so like, Proctor working together at that one spot, yeah. man, has really been helpful. <laughs> Yeah, and I, and I think you're starting to see it, right? Uh, obviously, Roach will come back into the starting lineup with with, with Whitehead out. And I, I think, at least in this particular moment in time, the best the blessing in, in disguise was Jeremy going out, forcing Proctor to be unequivocally that lead guard. So I think from that standpoint, I know a lot of people are upset at that last one he missed against Virginia Tech. I don't think it was a bad shot. I don't think he was totally confident in that in taking that shot because I'm sure that wasn't the play call. But I love where Proctor is progressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and, and the fact that John was comfortable enough to draw that, he drew that play up for him. Like, that wasn't that wasn't the second read in that play. He drew it up for Proctor. And the fact that he was confident in him to take that shot, like, and, and I know fans were like, why are you letting him take the shot, dogging him and stuff, man? But, uh, like, this is where I don't want to fight anymore. Like, I'm tired of fighting with the fans, man. <laughs> like, let's just watch the game and enjoy it. Like, I'm very happy that John felt comfortable enough with uh, with Proctor to, to draw that play up for him. Yeah, and, I mean, the thing is, it's funny, Jack, is, like, 30 seconds prior to that, Proctor hits the huge three to tie it. And now, yep. thirty seconds later, they're all dogging them. I just, I don't get it. Like, you can't win. You can't win with fans. So, why even bother to try at this point? I get the criticism in, like, in a two-point game, you, you go for the easy two versus a three. But, shit, I like the guts going for the win, man. I, I respect it. And, I understand it. That's the feel, right? That's that coach feel that Coach K used to talk about all the time, and that's John feeling the situation. Like, yes. Like you just said, Proctor just hit the three right before that. It's feeding that. the hot hand is what it yes, is, and I, I get it. I understand why the call was made. That being said, I also understand the criticism. Sure, sure. That's that's one where you can you can legitimately criticize the play call. Well, the fans criticize it if the shot dropped. No, I, I personally would have, but of course not. And, and, and yeah, that's where it goes, right? Like, so just just make sure, like, stay 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 thorough across the board. Hundred percent. When the shot yeah, goes he, in, the shot doesn't go in. Stay across the board with it. Yeah, like is just in a vacuum. Do you want a guy who shoots like below thirty percent from three taking the shot to win with the game on the line? No, no, no. Even if he just made the shot right before, like okay. Clearly, John plays Fanduel. <laughs> Clearly, he <laughs> likes to gamble. Clearly, he loves that feel, man. Clearly, no comment. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> yeah, no comment is right. Um, I think I think you, you, you brought up, uh, you know, Mark Mitchell. I think that defensively he's playing really well. I know that, you know, in those two games he he only had ten points, but he he serves a purpose um, for this team, and he just does so many different things defensively. I know Warren broke a record on this podcast about playing him at the four. I think that's when he's probably most effective. Um, but I thought that he did a really good job. And then what what more can you say about Filipowski? I mean. Yeah. The guy, 29 and 10 on the road, hitting threes at a high clip of four or eight. Um, you know, the, the guy's just a stud. I, I think that if if anything, um, you know, we got to find more ways to get him a couple of breathers where, where needed because he was clearly gassed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that comes, and we'll, we'll talk about this later on in the uh, chess checker segment. I think that comes with some lineup changes. And you just said it, like beating a dead horse. Mark Mitchell at the four, like, we were beating a dead horse, but like, why? Maybe we're just not seeing something. But why is that not a thing yet? Like, it's lively been happening at the five, more and more. Yeah, and it's happened. Like, it happens at, in snippets of the game, right? But we're now starting to get into the point of the season, and I know we're going to do our last third of the season in a couple of podcasts 
but we're now starting to get to the point in the season where you want to start seeing some lineup solidification. And the past four, four to five games, John has gone away from playing Mark at the four. So, and, and, re, and everyone's been healthy. So in the beginning of the season, when some guys weren't healthy and he was still trying to figure some things out, you saw Mark at the four quite a bit, actually, not, not at the start or at the end of games at times, but you saw him at the four for a decent amount of minutes during games. And now we're seeing less and less of that actually. And I, I really want to see that change. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the other thing that is just, it's just kind of weird. Uh, you know, this team is just so good at home. And, you know, I thought we played better on the road against uh, Virginia Tech. Obviously, we, we had our, our moments where you already brought it up, where you just go through these stretches where you're not scoring. Uh, and then give Tech credit. I mean, they were just on as far. Uh, I mean, Tech, give Hunter Couture credit. Yeah. Chris Mullen slash. Only Larry in the Bird. first half. Only in the first yeah, half. He was. He only had like one three in the second half. John made some good defensive changes in the second half in terms yeah. of switching. They they you have against Tech, you got to be disciplined against the switch. They switch all day long. That's Mike Young's offense. He brought it from Wofford. That's all they do. They switch and they get it was you in really matches. fun at Wofford. Yeah, right, right. It was really but fun to watch. It is, it is, and 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 you know, it, great, good for them. Like, but you have to be disciplined on the switches. And in the second half, I saw a concerted effort for the team to not switch not switch their their assignment, stay on their assignment, fight through the screens, fight around the baseline, all the things. And and that really did lead to Kater not hitting shots at in that second half at a high clip. It was just then um Basili got hot and and he kind of went off on our guys and we're gonna again Chuck Checkers is coming. We're gonna talk about it. That's one of those situations I really would have liked to see more lively on him because yeah. if one if Basili has one weakness, it's against big centers. It's it's been that way for tech all season. In their losing streak, one of the things that's happened is Basili's been shut down because the other team has been putting big centers on him. And we we decided not to do that. We decided to keep Ryan Young on him. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about the lineup uh, and different maneuvers that Shire can do. But I do want to focus now on uh, Derek Whitehead and the injury. So when he went down as a guy that hand up here uh, has torn their Achilles, um, when he went down, that to me seemed very similar. Um, luckily he was able to kind of fight his way back up and, and try to hobble off. But, uh, you know, luckily it's not the Achilles and it's a, you know, a classic Duke. They're not going to tell you exactly what it is, but it is, uh, presumably game to game. So maybe we'll see him against Wayne Forest. Who knows? Hopefully by, um, the week after against Carolina, that would be huge. So that being said, um, Jack, I know that you wanted to kind of talk about what, what Shire said today. Uh, in his press conference, and um, just kind of where do you think his mindset is, and then what do you expect from Dariq, and when do you hope to have him back? I mean, I, I hope he's going to be back by the Carolina game. I think that's I think that's the target day, if I'm being completely honest. That's the, um, that's the goal, have him back by then. There's two games uh, between now and then. I don't think these games are as consequential as the Carolina game, obviously. I think this, these are games that Duke can win without Whitehead. So I feel like it's not as big of a need to uh, necessarily have, have him start mm-hmm. or play against these next two opponents. But I'm honestly, I'm just grateful that it was not a season-ending injury. That looked really bad at first. Um, but, you know, Coach Shire, he did say today that Jaden Shute might get some run. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Duke go, continue to go into the bench the same amount. Even with Whitehead gone, that means next man up, and next man up is Jaden Shute. Some Shute, some Grandison, uh, Jake probably stepping up a little bit here and there. It's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh also, I really quickly, I want to interrupt this with some breaking news. Uh-huh. Zion Williamson was just named an all-star starter. Yes, sir. As he should have been. Like that's, That shouldn't even be break. That should be expected, right? I mean, yeah, but he's also been out since the beginning of the month. Yeah, but, I mean, we've had dudes miss almost a whole season, and they were all-star starters in terms of voting. Like, that just, I mean, that shows that, shows that the, you know, the fans are back with Zion. Like, cool, which they should be because he's a good dude. He does nothing but play hard. The fact that he was taking so much crap, I don't like it. Whatever. Continue. 
Um, I, I did want to ask you, AC, about uh, Whitehead's mindset. I know that we talked about that a lot, um, mm-hmm. you know, after the first injury and coming back and where would his head be. He talked about it himself. We talked it ad, ad nauseum on this podcast. Now with the second injury, do you see him being reluctant at all? We were hoping to see him drive a little bit more. Do you think he's just going to, you know, kind of resign himself to, to being, you know, a jump shooter going forward? Is that the Man, best I hope, hope not. I hope not because the play happened on like uh, uh, that that loose ball rebound, yeah. jumping up trying to catch it away from the basket. Like I, I, I can't imagine. Like if it happened on a layup or a dunk attempt or something, you might see him. I, I can't imagine he's gonna. And plus, maybe maybe he feels stronger now. Maybe he feels a little more invincible. The fact that it wasn't something that was devastating to his career, and he can just keep moving forward. On top of as the, immediately when that happened, you already saw the pundits talking about his draft stock. gone essentially and if it was season ending he better come back because now he has no draft stock anymore because he hasn't shown anything like reek is very aware of what he needs to show to be drafted where he wants to be drafted so we already saw him being a little bit more aggressive in that game i I, I think i think we'll see more of more a a more aggressive reek moving down the stretch once he plays again he he has to be like and and to protect his stock and everything else he's got to be like this the injury wasn't something that that created that but i do want to touch on what jack talked about with shoot being able to pick some minutes up now because John said it, he talked about it. It's going to happen. He's going to play Georgia tech is a terrible team, a great game to get him in on the road. And he's probably going to perform on the road against Georgia tech. Quite honestly, like he's a good shooter, that type of thing. They don't defend three. Well, we'll talk about the end at the end of this podcast, but like we've already seen Jalen Blake's minutes get cut back. Is it because of the broken nose? I don't think so. Like he has a mask. He said he's, he's able to play. He played five minutes the last two games coincidence that it came with the mask i don't know man I, I think they're starting to see that maybe he's not the guy so you have that three that three-man weave of shoot blakes and grandison there, there's minutes to be had there especially with whitehead yeah. out so the next two games are definitely going to be going to be big in terms of that rotation and solidifying that part yeah and and so we, we hope that the whitehead is able to come back and, and both physically and mentally, uh, ideally, that would be uh, the Carolina game. And you think that, you know, he would have essentially, you know, 11 to 12 days um, to recover before that game. Mm-hmm. So not only, yes, shoot can probably get, get some, some minutes in both of those games, but get Whitehead healthy as well. And who knows, again, maybe this is a blessing in disguise where Shire can kind of refine that lineup and kind of see what he can trust and what he can't. We know yeah. what we can do with Grandison. At home, he's the man. Give me that six dimes, couple threes, on the road, play him nine minutes, whatever. Um, speaking of the ACC, <laughs> we, we got to talk about the refereeing. I mean, oh, what boy. the fuck? Let me just open. I didn't think it ever get to this point on the hold podcast. On, hold on, Jack. I'm just going to say this real quick. I, I do not like complaining about refereeing. Obviously, when you're in the heat of the moment during a game, that's one thing. But after the fact, it's like, okay, look, you reevaluate. Is that the reason we lost? And I'm not even going to say it was the reason we lost that game. But, you know, when you have, like, the dichotomy of what happened at the end of that Pius-Carolina game, when mm-hmm. Syracuse is driving down, in control, trying to do a cross-up, um, you know, show the ball, Okay, calling for a charge. If, even if you thought it was a charge, and I could entertain arguments for that, whatever is college. But then to call a flagrant on that, right <laughs> on the heels of a player getting punched in the throat, whether it is intent or not, is ridiculous. Like, come on. Like, what are we doing? They made here? the right and, call in the Carolina Syracuse game. They made the right call. They did their job. I don't even agree with that. No? It was Davis clear. I, I feel like Davis clearly got up under him on the drive. Yeah, it, it was it was a clean drive in my opinion. His elbows were up for a shot. Yes, it was contact above the head, but that is contact above the neck on a on a shot attempt. If it's not intentional, is never called a flagrant, never called a foul. It was a foul on Davis for sure. And like TK just said, coming off a, a game where the same not the same officiating crew, but the ACC determined that that play was not flagrant because it was inadvertent. Give me a break. No, thank you. Because, again, above, if, it's be above, if it's going to be a Fouls back, are inadvertent. Fouls are inadvertent. Yes. All yes. fouls, except for intentional fouls, are yes. inadvertent. It's about safety. Yes. 
if if we're good if we're gonna call flagrants above the neck then call every flagrant above the neck any contact above the neck is flagrant i don't care and, what it is if that's if that's, that's, that's the rules down, you called Weekly Black for a flagrant two, and you know I could even sit there and be like, that was less that egregious was... than the other one. Right? I mean, I, I was like, you know, I don't even think that was a flagrant two, to be honest. No. With you. But you know, and after seeing it, it's like, yeah, it was a hard and foul. Okay, whatever. And I'm not sitting here trying to defend Weekly Black by any means, but I don't think that's a flagrant foul, to be honest. Not with you. at all. And so then you it's come. The right only back. reason is because Smith was sent to the hospital. Yeah, yeah, no. Everybody had the Mar Hamlin on their minds when they did that. That's the reason why that was flagrant too. Like that was that was that was a basketball play. It's the same thing with Grayson Allen and um and what's his name the 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 White Falcon or whatever they call him. I don't, I don't what it, uh, Caruso. Like it was a basketball play. He happened to hurt himself coming down. Sorry, like it, it was a foul. Yes, but it wasn't a flagrant too, man. But punching somebody in the in the goddamn throat, like come on, bro. Like, that 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 you can't gonna... get away with your celebration. You celebrating a play. Because we know that referees hate celebrating, despise it. Like celebration. What, what if it was a cel- What if it was a celebration and he inadvertently punched the rep in the throat? Like what, what do you mean? think happens? Like, or fan? Or Nothing happens there. Nothing happens if it's a ref. We've seen that Boozer punched a ref in the groin once, inadvertently. <laughs> it happened. No, it did. It did. But but the point. The whole point is. It, the the rules are supposed to are supposed to get away from the subjectivity, right? It's not supposed to be subjective. It's not supposed to be like, ah, uh, well, it wasn't, it was inadvertent, so we, you know what? This is it's not a foul this time. Like that, the whole point of the rules is, if it happens, that is a that that is what this foul is. This that is what this flagrant is. Contact above the neck. I don't care if you meant it. Excessive and unnecessary. It. Exactly. So it doesn't matter. And the way it's written, that's how it's written. But they all got together and said, "Nah, it's all good." Like, but all so season, stupid. all season, the referees across college and AC, ACC in particular have been horrible. ACC refs have been terrible across the board. It's not just Duke games; they've no. been hideous across the board. The flop call has been horrible. Just that, was be, that, was that was a call. That, that, that was a charge. Well, that was a charge. I don't even put his elbow I don't care if you call a block on the Jeremy Roach one where they call a flop. I don't even care if you call that was a charge. Whatever, but I'm saying I don't even care. If you, but don't wait for the ball to see if it goes in. Right. Then you don't even call a block or a charge. You call mm-hmm. a flop. It's like wait a minute. It's either a block. And then you review or it. Trip, or and then you review charge. it and see the elbow to Jeremy's face, and right. then you still don't call anything. Right. There's enough late, right? I mean, that's the way they called it. It's essentially, the, two plays down the stretch where somebody right. got elbowed. Or hit in the face on a, on Duke's roster, and nothing was called, even though Flagger One is supposed to protect everybody above the neck. Like give honestly, me a break, honestly, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you can say, "Well, they cost me some point there," because instead of getting two free throws, if they're calling a, a block or a strip or whatever, sure. then Virginia Tech's being like, "Well, we should have gotten two free throws," and I'd be like, "Yeah, you have an argument." Mm-hmm. But I, I I just despise the let me see if this goes in before I do anything. Oh, okay, yeah. then it doesn't, and then it's like, wait, what are you calling it on now? Oh wait, what are you calling? You're calling a, a flop, really? Like you had enough time to process that? Oh, we know. What? I think it's actually a flop now because the ball didn't go. Wait, what, what are you talking about? Like that is they got to get rid of that that rule. I'm not ACC saying it's a flop, but it is garbage. All season they've made the game about themselves with all the thrusting and all the other shit that they do. The fact that we even know ACC officials' names right. is sad. You shouldn't know mm-hmm. an official's name. Right. You if you're if you're if you're going into a game and you know the first couple plays or whatever, and you you're immediately kind of standing your eyes to see who's refereeing that game, like that's not good. No. Whether it's no. Roger Ayers or TV Teddy, like you just and it's not just those two, by the way. There are plenty others. So absolutely, it's fucking annoying. I went to the Sixers Nets game yesterday. There were four tees called in the first quarter, and I think seven in the game. I don't, dude. I don't know what's going on officiating. And man. that like, was not the worst officiated game I've seen this week. Yeah, yeah. Thing is, it makes me want to become an official. <laughs> there's an official uh, shortage. There is an official shortage. That's the whole point. Like, there's an official shortage, and it's like, Literally. you know, what if there's I? There's an Amazon driver away? shortage too. So. <laughs> Come on, man. There's, a lot of, there's a lot. There's a lot of shortages at Amazon and Google and. Tesla and all those. All right. So, 
Either way, I, we had to get that off our chest. Um, you know, the refereeing has been atrocious across the board, uh, especially in the ACC and apparently in the association as well. So, you know, I don't know. You know, AC, before we even get to the next topic, like, you brought it up, like, on our text chain. Something has to come from the ACC offices, right? I mean, something does, but the ACC office is getting exactly what they want, right? They're get they're getting Carolina wins again because Carolina is shooting 40, 35 47, more free throws than 47, their team. Than their 47 opponent. free throws, more free throws than their opponents mm-hmm. in the last two games. 47. And, and that makes sense with a team that drives and, and, sure. and gets to the basket and everything. And Carolina doesn't do any of that. They don't right. do any of that. Right. This is age-old 2008-2009 Hansboro, Carolina, man. It's the same thing, man. Protect these dudes. They they were on a losing streak. Like, let them lose. Like, let them lose. Like, I, I know I know it's better for college basketball when Duke and Kansas and, and Carolina and everybody else are good, but well, like it, man. If that's the case, why is Duke not getting calls anymore? Right. We're not. We're not. <laughs> we're not. That's the thing. We're not. And and we you see that this team is driving. This team is shooting on the interior now more right. than than they have in the last decade, and we're not getting – like – there, there definitely is a Coach K effect. This is like, just like in the COVID season, we talked about how the the fans make up for a couple of wins a season for Duke. The same thing with Coach K on the sideline with the officials, man. Like with Coach K on the sideline, there are definitely a couple of possessions and wins a season that, yes, Duke is going to get the free throw disparity. They just are. It happened with Dean Smith. It happened with K. It's called the respect game. I know, I know what the officials do with that. I hate it, and it's stupid because it should just be letter of the law, right? But it's not. But now it's happening now with Carolina. And, like, Hubert Davis, a, a second-year coach, is getting the, the Carolina treatment already. It's like, come on, yeah. bro. Like, that's enough, man. It's enough. And, I, 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 like, it's going to take John saying something like Kay did back in the day against Dean Smith, man. Like, I'd, I'd love to see John come yeah. out with a good UNC gets all the calls quote in a press conference. But he's not going to do it. He's not. I'd, like to, I'd, see, I'd like to see John get teed up. I really would. Because yeah. I'd like to see. It's going to happen. Yeah, you can only take so much as a human being. Um, and, you know, for all those people, I mean, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's um, the referees making up for, you know, all those years where they were, you know, that they were claimed to, to give Duke all the goals. So it's definitely possible. I mean, refs are human too. So mm-hmm. who knows? Mm-hmm. But, um, all right, let's move on to more Duke related topic uh, than the, the fucking refs. Playing each piece like losing it hurts. This ain't checkers. All right, so let's determine here whether John is indeed playing chess or checkers with a couple of these. Um, I want to start with just kind of the lineup shuffles, um, and I do want to put a little bit of a focus on his usage of uh, Derek Lively. So, AC, in your opinion right now, with the shuffling lineups and, and adjustments that he's doing with his rotation, uh, and Lively in particular, uh, is he playing chess or is he playing checkers right now? From what you've seen, I really, I, I'm, I'm going to go with checkers. I'm going to go with checkers. I really, I really want to say chess because I want to say that he is holding Lively for the last stretch of the season before teams get too much tape because that is a thing. But at this point, with your team kind of you know, needing a boost and and Lively giving you a boost. At this point, man, you're you're supposed to be playing that dude. So I'm I'm gonna say checkers, and and, and I'm gonna stick with it. I would like to see him, like him him coming off the bench. Number one, I like that. I like Lively coming off the bench. I, I like the offense that we have to start the games, and then Lively comes off the bench and kind of solidifies some things on defense. But then down the stretch, like we saw him, we saw John do this in a couple of games, and it really was a great coaching move. He was massaging leads by bringing in lively on defensive possessions and then subbing out Ryan Young when he could or subbing in Ryan Young when he could on offensive possessions. Brilliant move. But against Virginia Tech, man, like lively should have been in at the end of that game. That game needed defense. It was a close game. When you're in close games, offense offense is what it is. The shot goes in or it doesn't, but you really need defense at the end of close games. When it's a one possession game and you've had so many lead changes and things, yeah, you have to have a defensive presence in those moments. And we saw it bit him in the ass because we saw it where Ryan Young was the one who got beat off the dribble and Mark Mitchell had to help down to get MJ Collins that jumper and the ability to drive in for that jumper. And Mark was helped down on that. Like if, if Lively was in the game, I swear that that would not have happened. Like he would have, he would have cut that initial drive off that Ryan Young had. So 
I, I really I really want to see more of Lively down the stretch of games, and he wasn't in foul trouble. And if he was in foul trouble, so be it, man. Let him use his five fouls. He's defense. Yeah. That's what he is. Let him use his five. Yeah, Jack, how do you feel about that? I did not like the fact that Young was in over Lively for a defensive possession at the end of the Tech game. There was also, I will say, a point where Young was on Couture and Virginia Tech completely looked away from him. I just wanted to point that out because it was very funny. He hadn't even touched the ball that possession. Um, I, I really, I think that Lively needs to get a little more run than he's he's been getting down the stretch because his defense, it really it's game is. Changing. It's game changing. It's game changing, and also the fact that him and Roach are very good at playing off each other. Yes. And like, notice that the whole like Lively not playing well really started when Roach went out. Well, I mean, he wasn't playing well to start the season. Right? You know what I mean, but it got worse. Yeah, no, you're right, you're right. It like, got worse when Roach disappeared. But, he still, but Roach was out, and Lively had some great defensive plays and got the team back in the games a couple of times. Yeah. He went Roach out. Like, he, his defense has been solidified. Like, we, we know his weaknesses on defense. He can't be the one face-up on a post player like Zach Eady. He can't do that. But he can change drive angles he can change your shot attempt at the rim he can guard on a switch out on the perimeter ryan young can't do any of those things he can communicate very well and tell you what's going on but i can tell you what's going on too from the tv and i can't help a lick on defense so you know what i mean like at, at some point the communication has to give way to the actual talent like yeah uh, and can... ryan young getting 25 plus minutes a game man is not it's not good for this team no it's not and and he wasn't brought in to do that. And I think the other thing is, you know, you talk about, you know, the chemistry that Roach and and Lively have together. I'm starting to see that with the other players. I'm starting to see Proctor and Lively have uh, chemistry. I'm starting to see Flip and Lively work really well together in tandem. And so I'd like to start to see, I mean, I think anybody with half a brain and John will tell you the same thing. It was a mistake not to have him in at the at the end of that game, especially yes. when you have you still had a timeout. So even if you get the ball and you wanted to make another substitution for offense, you had the timeout. So there's no excuses for not to do that. Now going forward, if you want to say that John's playing chess, the only thing you can think of is what AC pointed out, which is he's saving them. But now, in my opinion, it's like okay, well, you know what? We're 14 and six. We're ninth in the ACC. Yeah. We have to win these next two games. Um, I did, and you're facing an 8-9 seed in the tournament. Right, and I, I feel like if you make some kind of, you know, I don't even want to call it a drastic lineup change, but something where you see a noticeable difference where maybe it's sliding Mitchell to the four and starting flip at the five, and then you roll out three yards, okay. Um, or if you just say, fuck it, I'm going to let flip and lively do their thing, and that's going to be my guys going forward for, for better or worse, that's fine too, but... I think that we have to start much like with Grandison. It's like if you're on, great. If not, you're not playing. I'm not saying that has to be exactly what we do with Jan, but he's such a Swiss cheese defender that you just can't have him on the floor that much, especially in the crunch time when you need stops and we weren't getting stops. So that's the difference to me. Um, and I, again, I do I want to emphasize this. I think you're starting to see more chemistry from guys. Uh, outside of Roach with, with Derek Lively. And not only that, right. but to add, look at the confidence that Lively is playing with every single time, every every minute that he's getting more, he's playing more confident. Yes, he's well, still going to make mistakes, but he's playing more confident. It's it's clear that in practice he is playing with the white squad more and more. Like, it's clear. That's obvious. Like, the way the sets are being run and everything else, it's clear that he's playing with the white squad more and more. But... It's just not happening in the games yet. So the only defense I can give John for this is that he's saving him. But the time it, it, the time for saving is done. Like, the next couple of weeks, especially with Whitehead out, it, it's time to just go out and win some damn games. We just got to win some games, man. We can't be cute. We just got to go out and win games. Yeah, I mean, even Shire said it in his press conference today, um, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, that, you know, yeah, he's not happy, but he does see the bigger picture. But at the same time, he noted... We can't. We're not exactly in a position to kind of wait for the bigger picture. Whereas some teams, you know, if you're seventeen and three or something, that's a different story. You can kind of keep holding the horses back before you let them go. We're not really in that position, and it's good on him to to note that. Mm -hmm. 
and and here's where I like his experience with Duke, right? Because he's been yeah. through this. He's been he's been through lineups that are set from day one. And he's been through lineups that you have no idea who the team is supposed to be until they get to the tournament. He's been through all that at Duke. So I don't care about the experience shit. I don't care about the we need a coach who's had experience before. You get experience at Duke, man. Like as the assistant coach, you do. I'm sorry, you just do. The the, the argument for that is moot. Like you don't need to go to Seton Hall to get experience. Like no, like you have the experience at Duke. He has experience with teams like this. He saw it in 15-16. He saw it with that 1920 squad that that never you know matriculated at the end for the tournament or whatever. Like he knows exactly what this looks like. So that's what I'm saying. That's that's the only defense I have for him at that point. Yeah, well, speaking of defense, and, and I want to keep it the chess and checkers here. The the thing that John does, and and you can Jack, you can say is he's playing chess, he's playing checkers. I don't know. Uh, he he tends to make a lot of adjustments in game, switching up the defense. We even saw a little one three one in that game against Virginia Tech. He's mm-hmm. not afraid to go zone. He's not afraid to press. Um, you know, is he playing chess or is he playing checkers with this team? The way it's constructed, uh, with his defensive scheme. I'll go chess. I, mm-hmm. I will. Because, you know, it's Duke. Everyone expects the man. And Shire will throw whatever he wants at at an opponent. And a lot of it's been working even when you don't expect it to. Mm-hmm. Like, there's been some times where Duke's gone to zone against teams that shoot the ball decently well. Purdue. And it's worked. Purdue going zone was a baller move. Baller move. Because that team is built on... If Zach Eady can't get a touchdown low, they're going to shoot a three and they're going to hit it. Baller move. Yeah, I, I, I do think. I, I do think that he's playing chess because he's somehow taken these defenses that have always across every team across every level had really bad weaknesses, and he's mm-hmm. taking them and he's making them work. Mm-hmm. And the weakness isn't showing at all. Mm-mm. Force a team to shoot jumpers. Even a good jump shooting team mm-hmm. isn't converting their jumpers against. But it's Duke's like, what kind of somehow. jumpers is he making you shoot? Right, exactly. he's making you shoot standstills. He's making you shoot from areas that you don't like. That's where, like, the scout you can you can tell he knows how you to can scout. tell the scout is yeah yeah he knows how to scout. He knows how to set you up. Like you can you can see that, and then the players buy into it. You can see that they're buying into the scout. So. Absolutely, chess man for sure. Chess defensively between him and Jay Lucas, what they're doing on defense, huge. And and hiring Jay Lucas, you know, another chess move for John, just bonus chess, another chess move for John, getting him in. But absolutely, bro, like you, Jack, you're 100 percent right, man. Like absolutely, chess on defense. Yeah, and, and you kind of uh, forecasted my next and final one here. Program overall, is he playing chess and checkers? And and I was going to add with you there, guys, that. Bringing in Lucas not only for his recruiting prowess, but also for the ability to, I mean, like you said at the beginning, we've held our opponents all but two or three to under their season average. Obviously, something's working there. And even before the season started, he kept harping on the defense, and I don't think that was just coaches speak. So mm-hmm. when it comes to overall program, I think he's playing chess because he sees the long game. You see it with the recruiting and the players that he's trying to get in. It's not just the pure one-and-done guys that everybody always has a problem with until it works, and then they go right back to having a problem with it. You have guys that are not only great shooters but can be here for a couple of years, and that's where you're going to see this team and this program, in my opinion, start to kind of morph into more of that seasoned veteran team where you have more realistic opportunities rather than mm-hmm. just flashes in the pan to try to win it all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bringing Jalen Blakes in a year earlier than when, obviously, when you needed him. Like, he, John knew he wanted Blakes for his squad. Like, he brought him in, had K bring him in as a freshman because he knew he wasn't going to play with K. Like, brilliant move because if Jay Blakes has given us something and he's going to continue to give us something. Working with Rachel, getting having a GM, man. Like, whether that was his decision or Nina's, I who knows, but we'll who never cares? know. It's working. Yeah, who cares? It's working. Like, getting, like you said, getting Jay Lucas, getting, having a young coaching staff getting Mike Shoggy in, like, so many things. And then look at his recruiting, right? Like, they obviously have conversations with guys that we don't get to have. We didn't recruit a center at all in this coming class. Does that mean we're just going to go completely small ball? No, that means he has something in his pocket, whether it's Christian Reeves, whether it's 
you know, we know we get Ryan Young back, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, one, one of Flip and Lively is coming back. Like, it, it, it's such a good move to to recruit the way he's recruiting. Like we, like he he knows the game, man, and you can tell, you can see it. Like it, it this regardless of the results of games, I feel like I am watching Duke. Other teams when they get a new coach, it feels very different from the team that was before them. I feel like I'm still watching Duke. It's not Coach K Duke. It's not John Shire Duke. I feel like I'm watching Duke when I watch them play this season and. I, I love that. Uh, that uh, absolutely chess on John's part for the off season and everything he's doing off the court. Yeah, Jack. I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I think that, you know, if you take a step back from, you know, the, the couple of losses that, that have happened recently and, and yeah, they're frustrating. Uh, they're frustrating for fans. They're frustrating for the players and, and the team. But when you start looking at the bigger picture, this wasn't exactly a team that we said would go out there and go to the final four and win it all. But you can see the building blocks of, of what Shire thinks he can do long term. And I think that's huge. Yeah. I mean, I'll be completely honest. If if any coach with their overall program is playing checkers, they should be fired. They they should be fired outright. That's just not how you build a program. You should be building... Calipari. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Calipari. Yeah. He's a he's Play a recruiter, it. he's not a coach. He's like Candyland. Jay Jay Lucas was the recruiting coordinator there. He wasn't even a full assistant coach. Shire brings him in and sees that he can actually coach. Boom. Mm-hmm. The fact that Flip Reeves, whoever, young, is like Shire sees a multi-year center set. Come on. It's so obvious that he's playing the long game. And... I think next year, the year after, is going to be really. It's going to be a really good time to be a Duke basketball fan because of what Shire is setting up right now. Absolutely, yeah, and and I and I hope our fans remember that because you know, it's AC. We we were talking before the podcast. It's like every every year we go through this, where Mm -hmm. every time the team and and here we are again in you know kind of the late part of January, we have a couple losses. Some of them are high scratchers. We get blown out as usual, at MC State, and everybody's ready to, to just jump ship. But, you know, as soon as we start being good again, top five all year, mm-hmm. then, you know, Shire's going to be the greatest thing since long spread, even though right now a lot of them are calling for his head. He's not ready. He shouldn't have been. Hey, just stop. Just stop. Right. He's playing the long game. And you're going to see some of that in season when, you know, as usual, every season is going to have adversity. What do you do with it? Like, Coach K was a master at that, right? Every time you have right. adversity – whether it was the, the 2001 team that ended up winning all, Boozer goes out late. He puts in Casey Sanders and a bunch of yards around him and, you know, makes it work. I'd like to see Shire do something to that nature. And maybe it's even Jaden Chu, who's the ace in the hole. And he will, right? Because, like, with that team, you were forced to do that because you had no one else on the roster. That team played six dudes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like and, and credit to Coach K for making the move, but sometimes – the moves that you make are just, they're just handed to you. They're given to you on a silver platter. Like you have to do it. And, and this guy was a McDonald's all American for, for that time period was a crazy athletic center. Like Casey Sanders made that, like he, it worked because Casey made it work and, and K made it work. Hats off to both. Like it's not just the coach, but the coach didn't make the move. And there's been plenty of times where we said, like, this is why I say, I feel like we're watching Duke. We, with coach K with this roster, we are, we are, we still have basically the same record, probably minus one or two losses. That's it. There are probably one or two losses that we wouldn't have under Coach K. That's it. But I guarantee you, at the end of the season, we might, we may or may not have more transfers under Coach K, or we may or may not have more guys leaving. Everybody's like already predicting people transferring. I right. hope you all realize a lot of those transfers happen not because it's Duke or not because somebody's not playing, but because the guys don't get along with the coach. I hope you all realize that. And John is one of the best people, persons, people, people in, in college basketball. And I guarantee there's going to be some guys sticking around this season that normally wouldn't stick around with Kay because of who John is as a person. I can promise you that right now. All right. Right. We, we, got it. We, we got that information from people that have been on this podcast in the past, by the way. That's not us making this up. All right. 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 There have been people who have told this from their mouths who played under Coach K. So I'm not making this up. 
Like this John Shire, John Shire is a dude who understands people. He he is in tune with what the new generation wants to do versus Coach K, who was not in tune with the new generation, but he was still very adaptable. But Coach K still, if if you are a good player or an NBA player, I'm playing you. If you're not, I'm not giving you the time of day and I'm gonna cuss you out. Like I, I can promise you right now, John is like you see it with shoot. Like John is hanging out with Jaden Shoot before games at shoot arounds and things like talking in this guy's ear i'm, I'm like everybody's saying he's gonna transfer he's gonna transfer he's not playing it's not the same situation y'all it's not he's very so different situation everything he can to make sure shoot doesn't transfer yes very different situation very same, different. same with jeremy roach last year you know he got he, roach to come back I that can was see not coming back next season right. because of john right. i can see jeremy coming back next season because of john and i'm already hearing that up here in this area from people who know jeremy all right like like we can't like just like we're we're saying we can't compare John to K like you can't compare the two when it comes to the offseason because they're very different people. Yep. Like let it, it play it, out. It, let it play out. It, it, this is craziness, and for the same people that were you know saying oh well you know I know how the fans want back in eighty uh, to eighty two where you know they wanted Coach K gone after the concerned years. Iron Dukes. Come on, right? You know we're not going to do that. Which you're already doing it. Just stop. Like mm-hmm. if, if after three years. Uh, and you know he hasn't done it. Then sure, I'll listen to you. And but no, no, um, it took K five years. It takes most coaches that long. It took Ben Howland three or four years to get his his shit. It took took Mick Cronin a couple of years at UCLA and and some very fortuitous situations to get him where he is right now. Like there's plenty of people that we can put the dot on. It took them a while to get where they are. And by the way, just as a final point, like Coach K has jobs back a hundred million percent, and it's not mm-hmm. just that he handpicked them. It's not mm-hmm. the only reason. He knows. And so if you trust K that much, then continue to trust K. Yep. Period. Um, all right, so we got a couple games coming up here before Carolina. <laughs> Saturday, 3 p.m., ECC Network, which is just abysmal. Um, <laughs> ECC. Uh, is, so at Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech stinks. Uh, 3 p.m. game Saturday. Um, AC, you already kind of said defensively, Georgia Tech pitiful. Pitiful, absolutely pitiful in all regards. Great game for Jaden Shoot to get some time and and prove all the fans on Twitter right that John should have been doing this from day one because they don't defend the three. They they have a weak post. They have a couple of guys that play decent minutes in the post. They can't defend the post. Like they're they're a bad team in general, man. Like they're a really bad team in general. Miles Kelly is their only double digit scorer. They're just they're bad. They are bad. They are a bad team, <sighs> and we should win this game. It, it is on the road, right? So yep. I, I say we should win it by double digits. But if we win by single digits, I'm not surprised. But it would be great to come off of that Virginia Tech loss. Come off of reek with the injury and have one of those good team wins on the road that shows we're here to stay and we are a contender. So I'm going to go that route. I'm going to go that route and say that that's what we do with a week of practice, getting used to not having reek. And I'm going to say that we're, we're going into this game. We're going to win it 78 63. So that's, that's my prediction. Yeah. I, I'm going to give my prediction here. I got us 84 67. Um, you know, I think that, even though the fans are down, I think this team is is angry. Rally season. Yeah, this team is all hands Rally on season. deck. This team is angry. This team wants to win. I think they're getting better. I know it doesn't look like it. They're cutting down the turnovers. They're shooting the ball better, knock on wood. I think that this game is going to just be, we're going to come out guns blazing. I think they want to come out and just show everybody that they're still Duke. So, yeah, 84-67 um, is what I got. Uh, Jack, what do you got for the game at Tech? I got no Alvarado and no DeVoe. And <laughs> Josh Pastner, who has been given like eight years at this point mm-hmm. to put a winning product on the floor and has failed and yet somehow is still their coach. Mm-hmm. Um, 78 to 65. All right. So pretty close. Price is right at me, bro. You can't do that. Come yeah. on, man. Um, the other thing that I just want to point out about Georgia Tech because we haven't we haven't mentioned them yet. If it wasn't for Louisville, Georgia Tech would be in the basement. All right. So yep. yeah, because <laughs> they have one win to Louisville's none. <laughs> exactly. Uh, was it was it not against Louisville? I thought their win was Louisville. <laughs> it might actually be. It was Miami. Uh, it was Miami. Wow, good for them. Appreciate it, Tech. 
Um, all right, so then we got uh, Tuesday night, 7 p.m., back on ESPN. Wake Forest, revenge game. AC, mm -hmm. what do you see us doing back at home? I mean, you know, you know we don't lose at home, right? Yeah, no, we don't lose at home. We're not going to lose at home this season. We're going to shoot better. We're gonna, we, we've seen them once, and we've seen what they do with Appleby. We've seen what they do with Monsanto, and we've seen what they do with Hildreth. That, that's their top three when it comes to the scoring. Like, other, outside of that, they, they play a, a fair amount of bigs. And we're gonna put those bigs into switches. I, I see that more often. I, I I feel like we're gonna hit we're gonna hit obviously more shots than we hit at Wake. And the thing that killed us against Wake was our defensive effort. And I, I absolutely see a better defensive effort this game. Um, we won't have Reek, so you're gonna have Grandison on the floor more. You're gonna have more minutes again for either Blake or shoot somebody. So, and I think you can get away with shoot with this game too because Wake doesn't have as many guards that score for their team as other teams. They only have two that can regularly score. So this is a great, again, what a great time in the schedule for Dariq Whitehead to get hurt and Jaden shoot, be able to come in and play and prove everybody on Twitter. Right. Because this is another game where I can absolutely see Jaden shoot being a factor because he doesn't have to guard a, a really good guard. So another win for us in this one, because we can guard their perimeter and we absolutely can guard their interior. And give me 75-69 against Wake, because Wake is still a decent team that's probably going to make this tournament. Nice. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with that, with all that assessment. I'll keep it quick here. I got us winning this game 81-74. to Jack, close it out. 73-65. I, I do, again, think this is going to be a good game to give Shoot some run. Both games will be. Yeah, so there we have it. Two big games. Ending this stretch in January, the nine-game stretch that we told you about. Next week, we will tell you how we fared in that nine-game stretch and from our predictions. But here's the thing. We need all the Duke fans to get back on board. Get together, Stop trashing the team. Stop trashing the coach. Stop trashing the program. They're our squad. Let's go Duke. Let's go Duke. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the 5 Point Play Podcast. Like, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check us out on Twitter and on Instagram. 5 Point Play Podcast. Let's go, Duke!